you'll turn to James 3, 13 and following. James, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were in, began James 3 and talking about the tongue and the restless evil that it is and how it can be used for good, it can be used for bad. And uh, we're going to see that the same uh, here with regards to wisdom. And James really asks the question here, beginning in verse 13, to, to ask yourself, really, who is truly wise? He says in verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, as I, as I read this and, and looked at James 13 and, and following and just thought about the context, I thought about the different ways that we have corrupted Wisdom. And I thought about the story of, of, of Alfred Nobel. Some of you know him as a Swedish sci, uh, physicist, and he is the individual who created dynamite. And his intentions were very good. He, he wanted to create something that was useful. He wanted to create something that would help, that would be productive. It would enable the, the, to, to break rocks, to build roads, to build civilizations, to... To, to build buildings, his intentions were great. He, he wanted to, to create dynamite. He created dynamite with the intentions that it would be used for good, to be helpful in society. The problem is that people took his creation and they corrupted it. They, they took what Alfred Nobel meant for good and they began to use it for destruction. As Alfred Nobel looked out at society and saw what his creation was being used for, it was, it was hurtful. It, it, in many ways, it was devastating to him. And he took $9 million of his own money, put into account, in an account and began to award people who promoted security and who promoted peace. Today we call that the Nobel Peace Prize. What, what motivated Mr. Nobel was the fact that what he intended, what he had created, what he had offered for good was being used for evil. Men had taken it, women had taken it, and they had corrupted it. And I thought about that as I, as I read this, not only in the, in the context of, of all of our lives and, and the tongue, but with regards to wisdom. I began to wonder, I think, do you think God ever wonders and as He looks and, and, is, and is hurt by the fact that we've taken all these good gifts, we've taken what God has offered for good, what God has offered to avail us, to allow us to have a relationship with Him, to serve Him, to serve others, to experience life as it was intended, and how we've taken it and turned it on ourselves, how we've corrupted his good. Even wisdom, even the wisdom that God has offered, we have taken it 
and use it on ourselves rather than Him. We use it on other things revolving around self than Him. And it's interesting, this is nothing new. In Ezekiel 28, 17, it says of Satan that he corrupted his wisdom by serving self over God. He was not content with simply being like God or being with God. He wanted to be God. Rather than lifting God on high, Satan wanted himself to be lifted on high. In his wisdom, rather, it, rather than it resulting in humility before God, being content with serving God and being a, a relationship with God, he wanted to be like God. It resulted in pride. He did, he did to God what others had done to Alfred Nobel's creation. And throughout history, Satan's attempt has been to get you and I and others to come along with him. When he fell, we know that many, many of the angels fell. And all throughout history, his attempt has been to get others to do the same. And like I said, we saw this in the beginning of chapter 3 of James with the tongue. How James says, with our tongues we can bless and curse men. He says, brothers, it, that ought not to be. The power of the tongue is that we have the power to do great good with the tongue. We said we can speak life into people. Or we can speak death into people. And with God's wisdom, it's the same. We have the ability to, 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 to accomplish and to glorify God in tremendous ways. Or we have the, the ability to serve self and destroy people in very, very large ways. God has given us wisdom. He's, he's revealed himself. He's, he's given us the path to life. He's given us all these truths for good, for peace. For His glory. For His purposes. And because of our innate sinfulness, because of our sinful hearts, we use wisdom for our glory rather than His, His glory. And in turn, what we find, instead of it being something that's used to promote peace and to bring us together, what we find is strife and discord and fighting. And that's what James says here. And that's what I want to do today with James 3, 13 and following. I, I, want to, I want us to see that today. I want to ask ourselves. I want us to do what James does. I want us to take a moment and evaluate our own lives and ask ourselves, what's the fruit of my wisdom? What, what's the fruit of my life? Do I have peaceful relationships with people? Or do I find myself oftentimes at enmity with people? Is there peace in my life, or do I find myself at odds with people often in my life? What's the fruit? And first of all, we've got to be honest and ask ourselves, just like James asked in verse 13, am I truly wise? Am I truly wise? And that's what James does here. He's going to offer us two kinds of wisdom, and he's simply asking his readers, he's simply asking you and I, by the characteristics of each of these types of wisdom, you tell me, which one do you fall in? And I'm going to ask you the same question. You tell me. Does your life exhibit godly wisdom and its fruit, or does your life exhibit worldly wisdom and its fruit? Which are you trusting in? And you'll see on your handouts, the very, that's exactly what James does in verse 13. He gives the challenge of the wise to prove their wisdom. I'm confident that if I, asked, if I asked the question right now, who in here would call themselves wise, I would bet that if, if you were willing, some of you just refused to raise your hands, I get that, 
that innate sinfulness shows in a lot of ways, just, just saying. But if I said, who in here truly, truly believes they're wise, I would bet almost every single person in here would raise their hand. If we said, who is really wise, you would raise your hand. You would put yourself in the category of the wise. And in James's culture, it was the same. But James, James challenges them and says, prove it. Prove your, the proof of your wisdom is in, is in the fruit of your lives. Who among you is wise? Examine yourself. Beyond just raising your hand, he says, step forward and prove it. Prove it through your lives. Our, our lives are the litmus test of our wisdom. It's the fruit. The Greeks in which, in which James, the culture and, and the, the pervading culture that the Jews had been scattered into, prided themselves on wisdom, yet it had very little effect on their lives. It was an intellectual thing. They would have prided themselves on it. And the Jews to whom James is writing have been scattered in the midst of this culture that prided themselves on a, a specific type of wisdom that, that didn't always translate into the way they lived. And the Jews were in danger of falling prey to that kind of wisdom ruling their lives. We, we live in a culture today that would have a definition or a standard of wisdom that if we as Christians, if we're not careful, we can fall prey into believing that we're wise when really... We're not biblically wise. James is reminding the Jews here that to whom he writes in the Old Testament, the biblical definition of wisdom. It had nothing to do with mere knowledge. It had nothing to do with speculation. It had nothing to do with degrees on the wall. I have plenty of degrees on my wall. But am I truly wise? We can have all kinds of letters and, and all that behind our name and we can look good on paper, but are we truly wise? And, and James says here, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. James puts out there very quickly how you measure wisdom. He did not mention intellect. He didn't mention success. No, notice what he uses as the barometer of measuring wisdom. He says your life, the fruit of your life, gentleness, your deeds. James did not assess their wisdom based on theological terms, but based on practical terms. He says, you, you say you're wise, show me the fruit. You, you say you're wise, show me the evidence in your life. Again, he didn't say how many... Again, I'm not belittling theology. Anyone knows me? I am not at all. Be, theology plays a huge role. What he's getting at is you can brag on your theology all you want, but your theology plays out in your life. In spite of what you say you believe, your theology plays out in practical terms. And that's what James gets to the root of the matter. He didn't define it based on theological terms. He defined it based on practical terms. Because what you believe will come out in how you live. And again, in the culture that they lived in, it was just, hey, you, you were just wise based on education or, or knowledge or things like that. And James is saying, that's not at all what biblical wisdom looks like. Look with me, listen, listen to 1 Peter 2.12. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
You, you find this same theme all throughout 1 Peter, throughout the Bible. You see two characteristics playing, two characteristics named side by side. Wisdom and understanding. You see it throughout the Bible. Wisdom and understanding coming out in a believer's life. You see it throughout the Proverbs. You can look at Proverbs 2.6. You can look at 3.13, chapter 8, chapter 9. Wisdom and understanding should mark a true believer's life. And, and James is saying, if you, truly, if you truly are wise, it will play itself out in winsome daily conduct. It will play itself out in the relationships that you have amongst one another. It, it will show up in how you deal with life's problems, how you deal with, with struggles. Do you deal with them in a gentle way, or do you, de- do, or, or, or do you become very offensive? Are you gentle? Or are you selfish? Are you, are you serving others or are you serving self? He's saying it plays out. Your theology plays out. James says true wisdom is marked by a person who doesn't have to have everything their own way. True wisdom is marked by a person who is willing to meet people where they are. Again, he says, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 would say that wisdom begins by fearing the Lord. And the bottom line, what James is getting at is this, that biblical wisdom is marked by humility. A biblically wise person will be a humble person. That's what James is getting at. And I've said earlier that James is built, really his theology is built on Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You see that throughout humility, humility, wisdom, humility and wisdom. James is saying that true, true wisdom will show itself not in the need to contend for your own rights, not, it, not in the need to, to get everyone to accept your personal views, but biblical wisdom will be a humility that looks to others over self. True biblical wisdom looks to, hey, how does this situation affect the gospel, not how does this situation affect me? True biblical wisdom says... What does this do to the glory and my testimony about God versus what this means about me? Biblical wisdom looks, it looks to glorify God over self, and we'll get to that. And, and the beauty is this, Jesus Christ modeled this for us. The beauty is this, what James is saying, it has everything to do with the gospel. Listen, listen to Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. That that word there, empty conceit, literally means empty glory, worthless glory. But listen, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Here's the application of what biblical wisdom looks like. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's biblical wisdom. I hope you grasp that how many times they talk about who, how he humbled himself. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul says, do not merely look out, do not only look out for yourself, look out for the interests of others. 
Jesus emptied himself on behalf of you and on behalf of me. He did that, that that we could be saved, that the penalty of our sins could be paid for, that there could be peace between God, holy God, and sinful man. Jesus became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that there could be peace. Even to the point of death, it says, even the death on a cross. Listen to me, there is no worse death that could have been paid, that could have been died, than the death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. That's exactly what he's calling us as believers to do amongst one another today is humble ourselves, serve one another, love one another. 1 Peter uh, 2, verses 21 through 24, a very challenging passage. But look at this. It's the, the, the point here is that Christ is our example. Look at what it says. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, Listen to this, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So, you know, how are you and I to live our lives in humility and suffering? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look what it says. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And and this is the application. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. All of this, what I'm trying to show you is all of this, what what James is calling us to, what the Bible is calling us to, everything is rooted in the gospel. Everything is rooted in what our Savior did first towards us. And you know what he says? Go and do likewise. Go, Go and do to others what you've had done to you. That's why Romans 12, verses 17 through 21 are are such a a big deal. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Why? Because your Savior didn't do that. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's biblical wisdom. That's not worldly wisdom. And every single part of that is rooted in what you and I as believers in Jesus Christ first had done for us. It comes from a, from a healthy understanding of our own unworthiness before God and a humility and a lack of pride in our dealings with other people. Why? God humbled himself took on flesh, became a servant, even was willing to die that we could have a relationship. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Uh, uh, Humility ought to flow from that. Tremendous humility ought to flow from that. It comes from an understanding of our position as sinful creatures in relationship to the greatness of God. I'm, I'm here a sinner, and yet a holy God has invited me in through the blood of His Son. Humility. To the point where Hebrews would say, approach the throne boldly. Do you, do you grasp that? I'm a sinner. A forgiven sinner by the blood of His Son. And He says, come on, come on in. Come in boldly. We can have an intimate relationship. You see the humility there? When, when, when we as believers can't get along, when we as believers say, you're not worthy of my friendship, you're not worthy of me forgiving. You know, see what we're doing in, con- in a contradiction to the gospel? I wasn't worthy. And yet God forgave me. 
I was utterly unworthy, and yet God, through the blood of Jesus, has invited me in. Humility. Tremendous humility there. To think that we won't forgive, to think that we won't make peace, to think that we won't pursue these things, he's saying it's a contradiction to the gospel. But, and again, there will be times where, where peace cannot be, cannot be made. It's not talking about a false peace. And he says, so far as it depends on you, but we ought to be a people that are pursuing. We ought to be a people that are forgiving. We ought to be a people that are doing exactly what we've had done for you. And that's what Colossians 3, 12 says. Paul writes, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, look at what he says, put on a heart of compassion, of kindness, of humility, of gentleness and patience, bearing with one one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Listen to this. Here's why. Just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also. Beyond these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, the peace that I have with Christ through His blood, through His death, burial, and resurrection, let that rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. You, you see the humility in the same thing that you've received. He's saying, give it out. And James is saying, that's true biblical wisdom. You want to prove that you're wise? Do that. We've been shown sacrificial mercy through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You receive that, then give it. The gospel playing out in our lives, that's what, that's what James is getting at. That's what the whole Bible is getting at. That which we've received, we are to be a conduit to the rest of the world. We're simply giving out that which God, by grace through faith, has deposited in our account in the gospel. And you saw that numerous times so that the world would see the gospel playing out in our lives. It's literally a visible portrayal of the gospel. It's self-sacrifice. It's humility. And what James does here, he says, hey, I'm going to help you. Starting in verse 14, I'm going to help you determine which wisdom that you're living by. You say you're wise. I'm going to help you Put your wisdom in the correct category because none of us in here would probably raise our hand and say, hey, I'm an expert on worldly wisdom. I'm living by worldly wisdom. And, and the same in James's day, but James is going to help us by giving us the characteristics of both. And, it, and it's real easy. I love these passages because they're real easy to break down. I mean, there's not, you're not having to figure out what these Greek words mean. Paul, James just lays it out on the table. And, and the, the number two on your handout is this. How do you diagnose worldly wisdom? That's what James does in verses 14 through 16. I'm going to help you diagnose. Let's look at, the, let's look at the, the symptoms, and then we'll be able to diagnose based on the symptoms playing out in our lives, which wisdom we're living by. And, and this is, again, this is a people that claims to be wise. But look what he says. But if, you harv- but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. Bitterness, jealousy, selfishness. He's saying that's worldly wisdom. And, and what James is saying at is what I've tried to say is, is the real tragedy here is that their attitude and their acts were denying, they were falsely representing the very truth of the gospel by, by which they had been saved. Because that's clearly in contradiction. Verse 14, that's why I read Philippians 2 and 1 Peter 2. That's clearly in contradiction to what we have received. 
And, and James says real quickly here, starting in, in verse 15, this wisdom where there's, bitter, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition and arrogance, he's saying this wisdom is not from, a, from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Look, the source of worldly wisdom is hell itself. It's hell itself. Just don't, don't try to water it down. Satan is trying to get us to live by principles contrary to the Bible. He himself was jealous. He himself would not humble himself. And he fell and he rebelled against God. And guess what he's doing? He's trying to bring everybody else down with him. He's trying to get even Christians to live according to that philosophy and follow him to live for self and to live for their glory. He says, very, he says, so it's sourced in hell. Not only that, worldly wisdom has an earthly perspective. Earthly perspective. He says it's earthly. Very clearly, it's earthly. It's a, it is now focused. Worldly wisdom, you see C on your handout, it's now focused. What, what James is saying is it takes no account of the future. It takes no account of other people. It's whatever pleases me now, what is it, whatever is best for me now, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever is good for the moment, whatever, whatever makes me the happiest right now is what I'm going to do. It operates according to the worldly principles. James makes it very clear it's completely opposite to that which, which is the, the gospel. But not only that, look at 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition, you see that word there twice, selfish ambition exists. There is disorder in every evil thing. Worldly wisdom is motivated by the glorification of self. Ultimately, who we're worshiping, who we're glorifying when we live according to worldly wisdom is self. Worldly wisdom takes everything that we're facing and it interprets it based on what is best for me. What's best for me? I, I become the center of everything. What can I get out of this? What is best for me? What does this mean for me? We, we live in a world right now that, the, that almost all of the key buzzwords in our, in our world have self in front of them. Self-actualization, self-realization, self-esteem, self-worth. Listen to me. Self is not my problem. I understand that some people may... The problem, the, my problem is self. A lack of self, rather, is not my problem. Too much Chris is my problem. Thinking too much of Chris is my problem. I don't need to think more of Chris. I don't need to esteem Chris more. I don't need to realize Chris more. I don't need to actualize Chris more. I need to deny Chris more. That's why John 3.30, he says, You must increase, but what? I must decrease. Self is the reason why I get into the problems I get into. And if we're honest, if we're honest, if, 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 and just in a spirit of transparency, the number one enemy in my life and the number one enemy in your life, whether it's at home or work or at school students or in relationships, listen to me, it's not your spouse, it's not your boss, it's not the other people at school, it's you, it's me. I'm my number one enemy. Chris Basham wreaks havoc on Chris Basham. Chris Basham and my selfishness wreaks havoc on my home. It's, not, it's very easy for me to blame other people, and, and we see it very clearly, especially in our kids. I, I, even yesterday, Bradley came home, and, and he was supposed to unpack his stuff, and about the fourth time I've asked him, I go in his room, and it's still not unpacked, and he's in the front playing on the computer. And I walk up there, and I say, Bradley, you're going to 
Have we not asked you to unpack your stuff? Oh, I don't know where the towels go. Well, you don't know where the towels go. You lived in this home for 10 years. I said, what about the mask? Well, I don't know where it goes either. You mean in the same place you got it from when you packed that bag? But, but again, it was, it was everything to avoid owning it. And then later on, I asked him something. It was because of something Sarah had done. I'm like, Sarah, what's she got to do with this? It, again, it, he is the problem. I'm the problem. Itself is the problem. And we'll go to great lengths to avoid it. And in contrast to worldly wisdom that glorifies self, God is sitting there and the Word is saying, deny self, crucify self. It feels good, it sounds good to gratify the flesh. And, and, and again, God's Word is saying, don't do it. And look at the result. Worldly wisdom results in disorder and strife. Look, look at where he says in verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And you think about that. If all of us serve ourselves, if every part of my body, which we're, we're a body of Christ, if every, if every organism, if every part of my body did its own thing, all of a sudden started just saying, I'm going to do its own thing, it would be chaos. If all of us do our own thing, it's chaos. Rather than bringing us closer, worldly wisdom tears apart. Rather than growing us, it stunts us. Complete opposite. And James says that it's every evil thing. Listen to me. Selfishness is the root of every evil practice and sin. If you, if you come to me and, and, and you want to chat, I'm telling you, whatever sin we're battling with, whatever sin I'm battling with, whatever sin you're battling with, the root of that is selfishness. We, we can mark it. We can mark it. We'll, we'll, we'll disguise it with adultery. We'll call it adultery. You know what it really is? It's selfish. It's selfishness. Stealing. Selfishness. Lying. Selfishness. Gossip. Selfishness. Idolatry. Selfishness. The, the root of it is self. The root of it is me over others. You could trace it all the way back. No matter what it is, the, the root is internal. It's our heart. That's why Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Desperately wicked. Proverb, Proverb 4, 23 says something very similar as well regarding, regarding the root of our problems. It says, Watch over, listen, Proverb 4, 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. He's saying, Guard your heart. Because out of your heart, that's where everything is flowing from. That's why we hide God's Word in our heart, because it becomes a filter, purification. And ultimately, here's what's sad. Ultimately, worldly wisdom distances and alienates us from God. Satan rebelled from God, and guess what? He was cast out. My sin, your sin, alienate us from God. To be sure there's forgiveness, but it alienates. And God in His great grace has offered forgiveness, but even as a believer, it destroys fellowship. It destroys fellowship. And Satan is trying to get us to do the same thing that he did. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. You serve self, you glorify self, I promise you destruction is coming. And, and Satan is very sneaky. 
very sneaky. He doesn't just come at you with some grotesque thing. He comes at you with just, hey, glorify self. Satisfy self. Just live for self. Make yourself number one. Listen to me, if we're honest, that feels good. That feels good. That feels great. Doesn't feel harmful. It's not like he come and said, hey, commit adultery. Hey, commit this. He's just saying, hey, Chris, just love self. But guess what? That's where adultery flows out of. He knows down the road, I can get you to do this, and I can get you to do that, and I can get you to do that. I'm not going to come at you with that on the front end, but eventually, if I can get you to love self, if I can get you to live for self, if I can get you to glorify self, if I can get you to think of self, that opens up a whole realm of things that I can get Chris Basham to do. But I just first, I'm just going to get him to love self. Alistair Begg told of a story of, of a, a hypothetical situation in, in the heavenlies where Satan and his imps were trying to get a guy to, to sin, and they just couldn't get him to sin. And, and, and so Satan comes up there and says, hey, what, what's going on? They're like, man, we're trying to get this guy to sin, and we just can't do it. And he says, what are you trying to get him to do? And they named off all these grotesque things. He says, hey, what, you, what you're asking him, what you're trying him to do is way too bad. Watch this. He walked up to him, whispered something in his ear. Immediately, the guy was in a fury, a rage, just went crazy. And the, the, the other demon, demons are sitting there, what just happened? What'd you do? And he says, hey, I just told him that his brother had been promoted to king of a certain area. That's all it took. You see the self, though? I mean, that's a, that's a silly illustration, but Satan doesn't come at us and say, hey, originally, do all this crazy stuff necessarily. It's, hey, just love self. Live, to, live for self. And, and all evil, he says, every evil thing flows out of ceasing to live for God and living for self. Satan is a counterfeiter, just like with the, the story about uh, Mr. Nobel. Satan is a counterfeiter. He takes what God meant for good and he counterfeits it for evil. He counterfeits. And if we don't have the word of God in us to discover the real thing amongst the counterfeits, we'll fall prey. And worldly wisdom is like that. It looks similar, sounds similar. Because listen to me, in contrast to worldly wisdom, listen, listen to how to know godly wisdom, how to diagnose godly wisdom. Look at verse 17. The wisdom from above. Godly wisdom is, is sourced in God himself. In contrast to Satan and hell, godly wisdom is sourced in God above. It's, it's his character, it's his nature. He says in, first, in James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. You look throughout the Word of God, especially the Old Testament wisdom writings, God Himself is the source of wisdom. And how do we become wise? It's by spending time with the one who is wise. It's by submitting ourselves to the one who is wise. It's submitting ourselves to the Scriptures. It's spending time. How do we take on God's character? By spending time in God's Word, by spending time with the one who is wise. But not only that, godly wisdom has a heavenly. In contrast to a, 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 an earthly perspective, it has a heavenly perspective. It, it's, it's from above. It's eternally focused. Godly wisdom is internally focused. Listen to me at, at Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 8, just to show the contrast and the beauty of, of heavenly wisdom. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your ear to understanding, your heart to understanding. 
For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. That's the wisdom we need. And and that wisdom only comes from God. It comes from spending time with God. And and I love Hebrews 11 just to illustrate the the heavenly perspective and the, the eternally focused nature of godly wisdoms. In, in Hebrews 11, verse 13, it's talking about the, the heroes of the faith. And listen, listen to what it says, in verse, starting in verse 13. All, the, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were stranger and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed... If they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, listen to this, they desire a better country. They're not living for now. They're not living for earthly pleasures. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. And listen to the result. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. You go over to verse 35 of the same chapter. It talks about tremendous persecutions and, and not being willing to back down. And it says, All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. They're looking for the future. They, they know that the, the, balance, the, the, the accounts won't be settled here on earth. They refuse to live for now. It even says there in verse 37 that they would not... They would not obtain an immediate resurrection, that they were looking forward to a better resurrection. Meaning this, if they would have recounted their faith in Christ, they would have lived. And as it was, they said, we're not backing down, and they died. But they knew in their hearts that God had promised a better resurrection. God knew in their, and they knew in their hearts that what God had promised, that He was faithful to provide. It was, not a heaven, it was not an earthly perspective, it was a heavenly one. It was not a now focus, it was an earthly focus. I mean, an eternal focus. Not only that, godly wisdom is motivated by the glorification of God. Godly wisdom seeks to glorify and honor God. It lives according to godly principles. In Jeremiah 9, it was the memory verse from last week, because I thought I was going to preach this last week, but I, but I didn't. He says, They bend their tongue like the bow, lie and, and not truth prevail in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil. Let everyone be our guard against his neighbor, and do not trust his... That ain't the right verse. I'm reading verse 3. I'm at 23. I'm like, well, that don't sound right. Verse 9, 23. Sorry. 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, talking about God, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Godly wisdom is a God confidence, not a man confidence. It's living according to the truths of God, knowing that He will provide what He's promised. And the result, instead, in contrast to verse 16, where it results in disorder and ever evil practice, look at verse 18. And the seed of those whose fruit is righteousness and sowed in peace by those who make peace. The, The result of godly wisdom is righteousness. 
Godly wisdom, listen to this, godly wisdom chooses to interact with others in terms of what is needed rather than what is deserved. That's godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom interacts with each other based on what is deserved. God does not interact with us like that. He interacted, he, he has given His Son based on what was, what was needed. We needed a Savior and God provided a Savior. Did we deserve that Savior? We did not. And yet God gave exactly what we needed rather than what we deserved. And we interact with each other. Why? Because God interacted with us that way. And the key to all of this is peace. Not a peace at expense of truth, but a peace gained through humility and understanding based on our relationship with God and how it was achieved. And then we love others the same way. Again, he says, the, fruit, the wisdom that from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. We, we, have peace of, we have peace with God through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that, we have been forgiven an enormous debt that we would have never, ever been able to pay for on our own. And having received that, Christian, what the Bible says is this, go and do likewise. You were enemies of God, and through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been made children and heirs. Go and do likewise. God, God put all of our sin on His Son so that we could have the righteousness of God, that we could have a relationship with Him. You know what He says to you and I? Go and do likewise. In your home, do likewise. In your schools, do likewise. At work, do likewise. But, but that only comes from godly wisdom. That only comes from a glorification of God over self. And so just like James, I would ask you the same question. When you think about these characteristics, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, peace versus strife and discord, gentleness and, and unwavering and a lack of hypocrisy and full of mercy and good fruits versus discord and, and selfish ambition and arrogance, which, which one marks your life? What, what's the fruit of your life? At home? At work? In school, relationships amongst one another, what, what marks your life? In your neighborhoods, what, what, what are you known for? At school, at work, what are you known for? Do you always, you, you, are you the guy or the gal that always has to have things your way? Are, are, are you known as a forgiver? Are you known as a peacemaker or are you known as someone who fights for their rights? Are you known as somebody who is, is, is quick to, to take on and, and serve one another? Or are you the guy or the gal that has to be served? The challenge is, as believers, we can fall prey into living according to worldly wisdom. And we have to be careful. And, and, and I'm not saying it's easy. Hear me. There's a ton of people in here that have been in situations that were unfathomable. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying with all of our might, God is, God is calling us, James is calling us to live according to godly wisdom. Are, are your relationships with other people marked by peace, or are they marked by a lack of peace? In what ways maybe have you taken God's gifts? Maybe it's your own abilities, your strengths, whatever. In what ways maybe have you taken those instead of serving others, maybe you're serving self? Maybe you've taken all the things that God has given you or many of the things that God has given you and you're serving self over others. 
I mean, Romans 12, 17 through 19, I shared that because that is a practical illustration of what James is saying here. Never pay back evil with evil. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. That takes tremendous faith because you know what my flesh wants to do? If my enemy is hungry, I want to make sure there's no food within 10 miles of him. If he's thirsty, my flesh wants to make sure there's no way he gets a drink. I want, to, I want, to, I want others to get what they deserve, not what they, I mean, not, what they're, not what they should get, not mercy, not what they need. That's flesh. That's that residue of sin, that remaining sin in me that wells up. That the Word of God and hiding the Word of God in my heart and treasuring the Word of God and reading it and reading it and reading it begins to be a filter. So when that worldly wisdom begins to pop up, you know what the Word of God does? It filters it out. It helps me to recognize it. Chris, that, that's, that's, not, that's not godly wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. You know what? You're right. I need to repent of that. And that's not, you're not acting towards others with sacrificial mercy. You're acting towards others with selfish mercy. You know what? I need to repent of that. And oftentimes the fruit makes it very clear. Discord and envy and strife. Maybe, maybe as we sit here, maybe you don't like what you see in your life right now. Repent. We're all guilty. I'm not trying to, I'm just, I'm trying to bring us to the point where we're clean. Not, not to be a downer, but bring us to the point that we're clean. To ask the same questions that James asked his readers, I'm asking you and I'm asking me. Maybe in here you're hearing about the truths of Jesus Christ and you realize that you're a sinner and, and you've never called upon Him. Maybe that, maybe even that is... From a worldly perspective, we saw last week the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the wisdom of God. Even that is worldly wisdom says, Jesus down on a cross, that's crazy. That takes away your sins, that's crazy. Word of God says it's absolutely the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God confounds that of the world. And so maybe for some of us here, it's just truly receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, as Leah shared about this morning. Maybe it's professing your faith publicly and being baptized. The world would say, just get believe, believe a believer and just move on. It doesn't matter. It matters. Not in a salvific sense, but baptism is a big deal. Maybe it's being faithful and joining a church. Maybe it's repenting to your wife or your husband. Whatever it is. What areas are we living according to God, worldly wisdom rather than godly wisdom? And what's the fruit? Because Satan wants us to live according to the flesh. And you know what happens? A church full of discord and strife. Homes full of discord and strife. Schools through the, full of discord and strife. Just everywhere. And yet Christians, he says, no, no, sacrifice. Deny self. Crucify self. Forgive. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give him water. The question for us becomes, will we have the faith to live that way? And next week, we will see in James 4, very clearly, he says in verse 1, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it is not the source of your, your pleasures that wage war in your members? Again, I said, I'm the problem. A lack of crucifying self is the issue. Will we crucify self? Will we deny self and live for others? That's what James is asking. And he says, if you'll do that, you're proving that you're truly wise. And if you won't do that, you're proving that your wisdom is sourced in the earthly things and not on heavenly things.